But we are looking at the women of Advent, kind of these hidden figures that we don't often think about when it comes to the Christmas story. But they're revealed to us through Matthew's gospel. So when Matthew starts out his gospel, he starts by giving us the genealogy of Jesus. And normally, that would just include a whole list of manly men that are listed all through the genealogy. But Matthew does something remarkable. He includes five women. And these five women teach us something about Jesus and his message. And they're meant to be instructional for us. So it's worthwhile kind of going back and finding their stories and immersing ourselves in them. So Ruth is one of those women. So we're going to get to Ruth today and look at that. The common theme, I think, and I encourage you to go home and think through, what's the common theme between these five women? The common theme, part of it for me, is scandal and surprise. Each one of these stories is actually fairly sexually charged as you read through it. And each one of them have an element of scandal or potential scandal and then a surprise. And so as we go through that together, I hope that uh, becomes clear, but let's do a quick recap here. We looked at Tamar, first of all, and Tamar is a bit of a twisted story, isn't it? It's a, it's a scandalous story. Tamar was seeing no justice from her father-in-law, Judah. And so what did she do? She took matters into her own hands and she dressed as a prostitute and waited on the side of the road. Why? Because she knew the character of her father-in-law, Judah, and that he would kind of go for this entrapment. And what happens? He goes for it, doesn't he? And then three months later, dun, 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 she goes and says, aha, this is your child that I'm carrying. And actually, it's a pivotal moment in the life of Judah and transforms him, I think, changes his whole perspective and character and brings about a kind of justice. It's interesting. We look at that and think, this is not a recommended course of action when we're seeking justice, right? <laughs> and so sometimes the Bible is not prescriptive, it's descriptive of what happens. So don't think that we're prescribing any courses of actions as we look at, at some of these characters. And yet Tamar is praised in the end, and she's included within the genealogy of Jesus. Well, then we had Rahab. And I'm so grateful to Linda Ferguson. Where'd you go, Linda? Maybe she's out with the kids. Linda Ferguson for being here last week and for just uh, storytelling as she does and unfolding the story of Rahab to us. Rahab didn't pretend to be a prostitute. Rahab actually was a prostitute, right? And so here we have another kind of sexually charged story and Rahab hides the two spies and lies about it. 
and she's praised for her faith. Just, just the moral complexities of these stories, right? When we think everything is so cut and dry, everything is so black and white, the Ten Commandments tell us what to do and what not to do. And then we have these characters that seem to just push the bounds of that. And then they're included, Rahab is, within the sort of the halls of faith, the, fa the famous faithful as we come to Hebrews. And so we have Rahab's story. So Tamar reminds us that God's grace breaks through our darkness and brings hope. And Rahab reminds us that peace comes as God mends our brokenness and makes us whole. So now we come to Ruth. And Ruth has the potential for scandal. But we have to see where that story goes, and you probably know where it goes already. But we see in Ruth that though sorrow may last for the night, what happens? Joy comes in the morning. That's whenever I read Ruth, this is what I think of. That though sorrow may last for a night, though weeping lasts for a night, that joy comes in the morning. I've told this story to lots of people, so forgive me for telling it again. But every time I think of that verse... I think of the last job I had in high school before I left for Scotland. And the last job I had in high school was at Wild and Wet Water Park. Speaking of scandalous kind of affairs, that name could be used for a number of different establishments, but it was a water park, honestly. Wild and Wet was on the west side of Kelowna. And I worked there for the summer and I was the night watchman. And so everybody felt not very safe with me being there because I had no means at my disposal. I had no weapon. I didn't even have a phone. The pay phone, someone had cut the cord on it. If something actually happened, I don't know what I would have done. But I was mostly there to clean, to clean ashtrays. Do you remember ashtrays? Yes, I cleaned ashtrays. And the women's bathroom, which was not my favorite. And so I had to do that all night long. So I showed up at seven, eight at night, and then all through the night I would clean, I'd try and get everything done. But then there came a point in the middle of the night where it was dark, just dark. And I began to hear noises and sounds. I was completely alone. I was a little bit scared. I was 18. What was I supposed to do and all of this? And so when I finished all my chores, I would go sit on a bench facing across Okanagan Lake and I would wait and I would wait. What was I waiting for? I was waiting for the sun to rise over the Monashies, right? As they came up. And when the sun came up, the whole place was different, wasn't it? You ever experienced that? At nighttime, things feel different. And when the sun rises, it just becomes beautiful and happy again. So when I hear this verse, though sorrow may last for the night, joy comes in the morning. And that's what I know a lot of us are holding on for, isn't it? We're feeling that sense of night, that sense of darkness sometimes, and we're still holding on for joy. Ruth is like that. That's the story of Ruth. It starts in a very dark place. They go to Moab because there's a famine in the land. And Moab is not a good place to be. It's the place of the enemies of Israel. It's a place where they have child sacrifice to their God. And while they're there, all the men die. So this is not a good start to the story. A lot of darkness. And so the whole story of Ruth is Naomi with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, coming back to God, coming back to Judah, and coming back to joy. So where we find ourselves in the story of Ruth and the passage that was read for us is probably Ruth's most vulnerable moment. This could have gone either way for her. 
And remember, she is three times a vulnerable woman. Once, twice, three times, a vulnerable woman. So first time, she is a stranger in a foreign land, right? So she is a Moabitess. She's from Moab, and now she is in Israel, so she is a stranger. The second thing is she's a widow. She has no husband to protect her. And then the third thing is she's barren, and she carries the weight of that barrenness with her as well. And that makes her three times vulnerable according to the culture of the time. But according to God's law, she was then to be three times more protected. And what we see in the law is the heart of God for those that are most vulnerable among us. And often, again and again, within the scriptures in the Old Testament, it says, pay attention to those who are the stranger, the widow, and the barren to take care of them, right? And so Ruth is coming in uh, to this situation where she's very vulnerable. But there's hope. Where's the hope? There is a kinsman redeemer. That's the language that's used. A kinsman redeemer. A, a member of the family that might be a little bit distant, not a direct brother of her dead husband, but, but uh, a bit of a distant relative. But he has the power to redeem the situation, to buy it back. He can buy the land back. And he has the potential to marry Ruth and have offspring. And so there is a glimmer of hope. So what happens? Naomi, like all good mothers-in-law, has a plan for her daughter-in-law, right? And this plan, i got to be honest, it's a little sketchy. Um, because, and, and we've talked about this before, some of, the, of you will be familiar with it. Uh, she says, Ruth, get rid of your old dirty rags, have a bath, clean yourself up, put on your nicest dress, and go and seduce this man. And we have little overtones of what happened with Tamar. Is that what's going on here? Is it a bit of entrapment? And if Boaz goes for it, then he's hooked? Or is this a little bit of a sort of playback to how the whole nation of Moab started? Because it was Lot and his daughters, and his daughters had no husbands. And so they got their father drunk and slept with him so that they could have children, and one of those children was named Moab, right? And that's how the whole Moabite started. So are they saying, well, Ruth, this should be a familiar story to you. Go and uh, get this man and do it in the way that your people know how to do best. I don't know what was going on there. But you don't know, like there's, there's something in Naomi that I'm really not comfortable with. But Ruth doesn't go that route. It's funny, even in the NIV, if you have an NIV and you see the heading, it says, Ruth and Boaz on the threshing floor. And you're like, what are you implying by this? You're setting us up for something. But really, this is the scandal that never happened. Why? Because all through this story, Ruth and Boaz are honorable people. And that's the whole point of the story. They're people of integrity. And they don't go that route that everybody was expecting the story to take. And because they're people of integrity, they reveal something of God's character and God's law all throughout this. There's actually three things, at least in the passage I was read for us, that show us Ruth's character. The first thing is this. She is respectful of her elders. She says to Naomi, whatever it is you say, I will do for you. Remember in the commandments, honor your father and mother. Ruth is embodying that, right? She's showing that kind of respect. Second thing is she's humble. 
She says, when Boaz wakes up and he's startled to find a woman at his feet, he says, who are you? And she doesn't say, I'm the woman that's here to rock your world, right? She doesn't uh, boast herself up or make herself uh, proud. She says, what? I am your servant. I am your servant. She's humble. That's part of her character. A third thing that shows her character is that she observes and loves the law. She knows the law of God. And so when she comes to Boaz and her proposal isn't, you know, I'm here for you. Her proposal is, Boaz, you have an obligation under the law. And I just want to bring this to your attention. I'm not sure if you noticed it before or if you knew this, but you are the kinsman redeemer to my family. And she loves the law of God. She knows the law of God. And she reveals the law of God to us. And that's her approach. That's part of her character. Ruth in the story is showing the Israelites what they had forgotten about God's law. Now, just think about that for a moment. She shows to the Israelites what they've forgotten about God's law, and this is a foreigner doing it. How embarrassing is that to the people who should know better, right? This is the time of the judges where everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, and here is Ruth, a foreigner, showing them how they're meant to behave, revealing to them God's good law, revealing to them that kindness is justice, and that justice is part of the heart of God, right? This is Ruth. And I love it when God takes a foreigner, an outsider, let's say, and uses that outsider to shake up the people who think they're safe on the inside. And God does it again and again. We see Jesus doing it. Remember, he tells the story of the uh, Good Samaritan. And the shocking part of that story is that there's a priest and a Levi who should have known better who walked right past the man who was in need, and it was the dirty Samaritan that actually did what was right. He was the one that was the neighbor to the man who was in need. Jesus does the same thing. Well, here is Ruth being used in that same kind of way by God to reveal to the insiders what God wants them to do and what they've forgotten. I remember a number of years ago when I was uh, commuting on the bus into uh, University of British Columbia. I was attending Regent College. So I had these long bus rides in and out. And uh, it was great. I actually loved it. It gave me a chance to study for my Greek last minute. And uh, so I could just barely pass. And so it was awesome. And I remember talking to this man who was from Nigeria. And we got chatting. He was new Canadian. I said, so, you know, what brought you to Vancouver? And he said, actually, I'm a missionary to Canada. I paused for a moment. And and I'm glad this was an internal monologue because in my mind I said, that's not right. You know, we are the ones that bring the gospel to you because, you know, and, and who do you think you are bringing the gospel to Canada? We're the senders. You're the receivers of this. I didn't say any of that to him. Thank goodness I had enough social filters to hold that in. But it shook me up a little bit, right? And actually, as I've thought about that over the years, I think actually the greatest hope for the church in Canada is that we have more and more people coming, brothers and sisters from other nations who are alive with the gospel to come and revive the church in Canada. And we need to make room for that, right? But it shakes us up. It it makes us humble. It's maybe a little embarrassing because there's stuff that we have forgotten 
that we should know. And there's stuff that we should be practicing that we're not. And there's experiences that people have had around the world that they need to bring to us to make us alive in Christ again. And so we see this in Ruth. We see Ruth shaking up the foundations of Israel because she's the one that is honorable. She's the one that's following God's law. Well, ultimately, in the story of Ruth, the joy and the fortunes of Naomi and Ruth are restored, right? At the very end, Ruth chapter 4 and verse 16 says this. Naomi took the baby. This is the baby that Boaz and Ruth had. Say the name. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor woman said, Now at last, Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. And that's how the storyline goes. Isn't it remarkable? Just amazing how God, Ruth didn't know that. She didn't know that she was part of this grand scheme of things. You know, when we make the ordinary decisions of our lives, when, when we practice kindness with one another, when we're hospitable to a stranger, when we watch out for those who are vulnerable, we don't realize that God's using us in a good way in the grand scheme of things to unfold his plan. That's what happened with Ruth, and she's included in the story. Every time I read that verse in Roman, or Ruth chapter 4, I think of that hymn, How Sweet to Hold a Newborn Baby. And I know there's some in our congregation have had the, the gut-wrenching loss of a child in the last couple of months. And so we understand that it is sweet and precious to hold a child. And we see that, this joy that comes out. Naomi, who was bitter, is now full of joy. She's rejoicing. Naomi actually has a bit of an interesting trajectory through the story, if you read about her, right? She starts out, her name means pleasant. And it looks like everything is going well for her. She has a, a husband, and she has two sons, and they're able to travel to Moab. Um, they shouldn't have, but they're able to travel, so they have some means. And everything seems to be going well. Naomi's pleasant, right? But then she loses everything, and she changes her name to what? Mara, which means bitter, right? And she kind of is in that, that trough for a little while, and then she comes out at the end as she's presented with this baby that becomes like her child, and there's a restoration. But it's interesting, as we read the story, Ruth's trajectory is a little bit different. It doesn't have the same kind of trough, even though she goes through a lot of the things. Ruth, to me at least, seems to sustain her joy and her peace and her hope and her love throughout the story. She's meant to display to us this constant character of faith. And her, her joy seems to persist, even when she's in trouble and having difficulty. So what's, what's the secret? What's the secret to Ruth's sustained joy through all of these times? Well, here briefly are three things that I want to just share with you that might even help us as we seek joy during these times. First of all, Ruth had an outward focus. Everything she did was for someone else. Even when she went to Boaz, it wasn't for herself. It was for her mother-in-law. Even when she has the child, she hands it over to her mother-in-law. Ruth has this amazing servant heart. And I think that she sustains joy by serving others. Do you ever find that? 
Sometimes when we get sort of into ourselves and our own difficulties and our own problems, and there is a time for grief, there's a time for mourning, there's a time for sadness. But I've seen people, and I, can, I could name you in here today, who even in the midst of our sorrow, we continue to serve. And in that serving, we find a little bit of joy in serving others. I think that's part of Ruth's secret. The second thing is, not only did she have an outward focus, but she had a future focus. Ruth did not let the past define her. She, all throughout the story, and even today, we still remember her as the Moabites, that she's from Moab. She gets this title, but she doesn't let it hold her back. She doesn't claim that as her identity, right? She moves forward with a future focus on what's possible, on what the preferred future for her is, the possibilities down the road. Ruth continues to step forward and focus on the future. And I love that, and I think she finds joy in that. But the third thing is the most important, I think. Through all her troubles, she has a God focus. She's focused on God. And this is so amazing because, remember, Ruth is a convert. There's a moment along the road as the journeying from Moab back to Judah that she says to her mother-in-law, Naomi, your God will be my God. That's a Paul in the Damascus Road kind of conversion. That's a massive change, right? She says, I'm going to leave behind the God in, in which we used to sacrifice children to, and I'm going to worship Yahweh and she becomes a fully devoted follower of the God of Israel. And that's amazing, and we see that she delights in God's law. When's the last time you're around a new believer in Christ? <laughs> it may have been a while. It may have been a while for some of us. But when you are around someone who's just discovering the beauty and the truth and the goodness and the love of God, the forgiveness, when you're around people like that, around someone like that, you realize just how precious this thing is that we talk about every Sunday and we know maybe the story so well. And Ruth is like that. She's just so thrilled with God's law that she lives it out. She embodies it in a way that is so, so precious. She delights in God's law and her obedience leads to joy. And that's a weird thing for us sometimes, that obedience. We think of obedience as something that's a burden to carry, but not when God's intention for us is for our good and not our harm. <laughs> then obedience to God's law leads to joy. And that's what we find in Ruth. And that's what ultimately leads us to Jesus. Yes, the genealogy of Ruth leads us to Jesus, but it's her character, her example to us that leads us to Christ, because Jesus became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, for that future orientation, he endured the cross that he was suffering. And so Ruth speaks to us of Jesus and leads us there. I think there's a lot of things that can rob us of joy, isn't it? Of all the things of, of peace and of hope and of faith and all the things we talk about at Advent, I find that often it's joy that leaves me first. <laughs> joy seems in my life at least to be the most fragile at times. And uh, there's lots of things. Sometimes it's loss, loss of job, loss of loved one, loss of, of status, loss of all kinds of things will rob us of joy. And there is a time for sorrow and sadness in that. 
Sometimes our sin will rob us of joy, right? Not simply the, the, the things around us, but, but our own mistakes, our own faults, our own sin, that robs us of joy. Sometimes it's just uh, the stuff of life. If you watch the news too much, <laughs> and suddenly you find yourself being robbed of joy. And I have to very intentionally sometimes turn the news off. My, my, this is going to sound weird, but my dog and I have a habit every morning. She gets on the couch and she's waiting, watching the TV, and we watch the news together. But she still seems happy at the end. <laughs> I don't. Well, she waits for me to watch. The, honestly, my dog watches TV. I've never had a dog like this, but right? So there's all kinds of things that can rob us of our joy. And that's why we need to hold on to the story of Ruth. That's why we need to hold on to this promise that though weeping lasts for the night, that joy comes in the morning. So may God restore your joy this Advent as you serve others, as you look to the future, and as you live in obedience to what God is calling us to do.